Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expand upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and we have fun doing it. This week we're spouting off about improving onboarding for new Linux users. So let's get into episode 63. Next Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. With me today are my two fantastic co-hosts, Matt, Wendy. How are you two? That was kind of a dry intro, Nate. I'm used to some type of snarky response. Yep. <laughs> Or intro. I'm just so happy to be here with you guys. Like I'm just gushing in excitement. What can I say? Matt, looks like you're into some more hardware. You're nose deep in hardware. You're eyeballs deep. What's going on here? So I'm blaming Wendy, Ryan, and Michael because they decided to bring back Hardware Addict. So I hear conversations about hardware in general. I decided to go buy new hardware again. <laughs> and I'm going to refer you to the song that I shared with you in the private chat. I can't say it here, but <laughs> Wendy, I never blame you. I always blame Ryan and Michael. So this is the one time I'm blaming you because you're part of that show. This particular <laughs> machine is a from Mini's forum. They actually have a tablet, a two-in-one that they have put out. Oh, and there is no reviews for it, no nothing. I have not been able to find any information other than the fact that I went and clicked the buy button. <laughs> That's all I know. Just from the simple spec, it's a Core i7 11th gen, four core, eight threads. It's a 13.4 inch screen, 3840 by 2400 for resolution. The model I got has 32 gigs of RAM. A terabyte SSD, and it comes with the stylus and keyboard. Nice. Total price eleven hundred dollars. Not cheap, but not bad. Not cheap, but in comparison to a similarly specced with one gen newer Intel Core i7 for the Surface that does not come with the stylus or the keyboard, mind you, just for the Surface is twenty two hundred dollars. Or sorry, twenty three hundred dollars. It's twenty two ninety nine. They are definitely not cheap pieces of hardware. That's why I was so excited when I found the two that I did at a pawn shop.、Mm -hmm. So I cannot wait for you to get your hands on this device because I know you've used Surface devices in the past,、mm -hmm. and I would love to know how they compare because one thing I have enjoyed about the Surface devices is. For the most part, they really are well built. I don't care for Microsoft software, but they've done a really good job on their hardware. So I'm hoping that this is somewhere along those lines as well. Oh, there will be a full unboxing slash review of of said machine because I'm assuming this probably ships with Windows. Windows will not be staying on this machine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Windows 11 Pro for the cheap seats. This will not be staying <laughs> on this machine. I'm only su suffering through Windows with the other machine currently.、Mm. Honestly, I'm actually probably gonna look at Ubuntu Unity or Ubuntu Budgie for this. Interesting.、Machine. Did your favorite desktop environment go away? No, it didn't. <laughs> It's more the design and Unity, at least in the past, has played better with global scaling and stuff. I like Plasma. And it does better than certain other distros with fractional scaling, but Unity has just better scaling in general. Just from what I've used it on past Surface devices on that size form factor, that's a lot of it for me. I might also test run KDE Neon, which has a Plasma Mobile for x86 edition, which is also something I'm looking at because that UI would also make sense on this type of machine.、Mm -hmm. So we'll see what I end up installing. I'm not 100% sure yet. 
I'm not disappointed with the purchase. The purchase price, yeah, a little out, but I mean, given the fact that I just spent another $1,200 on the machine, it's out, but uh, it's all stuff that honestly, this is more of a home machine. The creator machine that I bought was more for the travel and stuff that I have to do currently more than I would like. So that's really what that was for. Um, so I can do stuff like this if I have to on the go. But other than that, that's my adventure in hardware. Wendy, you, however, have more adventures in hardware as it relates to robots. Yes. So there is actually a new team, a new FLL team that is coming to our area, which we're super excited about. The lady who is going to start the team and a couple of her daughters came and visited with us at our team meetings when we were getting ready for Worlds, kind of seeing how that works, how we run some of the things, and she's decided, yep, she would love to start one too. And that umbrella school that we've been using to help a lot with the funding of school, especially my daughter's $500 a semester in art supplies, is having us come in and do a presentation on what it is to be part of an FLL team, show them what we do, and that experience to help this new team build because they're also a homeschool team. And they also use the same umbrella school that we are using at the same time. On Wednesday next week, so the day this show actually drops, I will get to go visit with some different students, talk to them about how fun it is to be part of the robotics program. We're not, you know, doing any presentations, none of that. It's just getting to go talk about all the fun stuff that you get to do in robotics. And I know the plan is for the summer is to bring the kids back in and we're separating our build room, which is so, so exciting for me. Before... We were always meeting in the same building that we have co-op in. It is a building that's shared by lots of different people. They have lots of different groups come in. And while we had our spot in the closet, and it was actually its own separate room, but it was a storage area. While we had our area in there, not everyone is really good at respecting if it's not yours don't touch it and so our table had been messed with just before state this last year we were able to keep a lot of our lego pieces separated behind a curtain but the year before some of our models and stuff had gotten touched and messed with and the beginning of each team meeting we're having to reset up our table which takes time right we could be working and instead we're doing a setup and then we have to take down every time so the FTC team we work with the Tesla coils absolutely awesome team they have a build room where all of their stuff gets to stay up and we've talked to them about sharing that space since we work together anyway as teams and we'll be using the space at different times we are now going to have a dedicated build room where we meet when we're not at co-op together. And I am incredibly excited about that. We've had some laptops that we were using for code that they're brought in to every single meeting. And with this dedicated space, we're going to be able to have a desktop that's set up there all the time, not having to worry about bringing those laptops back and forth. It's just a dedicated machine. We can have laptops for when we go to competitions and stuff, which we don't want to be without a way to code, edit things, whatever. But one that's there all the time, 
So if something happens to me, if I get sick during the season, I'm not trying to get those to my co-mentor or something else going on. There's just a dedicated machine that's always there. Incredibly excited about that. And I think it'll help make the team feel more like a team because when we're constantly meeting in the co-op space, sometimes it just didn't necessarily feel like that. But if we're surrounded by not only our robotics parts, but the robot parts from the FTC team, I think that'll be awesome. And being able to work together just a little bit more. So while robotics isn't the core focus of the summer, we do have some robotics things coming up. I think I'm actually going to help with a robotics camp that's not too far away from us too. So lots of robot stuff going on just because the school year is just about ready to wrap up and our robotics season is done for the 2022-2023 season doesn't mean I will be done talking about robots through the summer on Linux Out Loud. Well, I think anytime somebody messes with my Legos, I get a little bit irritated. So I can say that you must be an incredibly, incredibly patient person to be able to suffer through that. But I'm glad things have improved and that's not going to be an issue anymore. So well, that's good. I definitely had some non-Linux out loud friendly words to say <laughs> after some of our stuff got messed with. But I had that conversation with my co-mentor and not with the kids on the team. <laughs> so in my mind, I imagine it's one of those, I'm just going to say parents that just lets their kids do whatever and don't discipline them in public and the kid's just an absolute disaster. I know those kind of parents and it's so irritating Uh because you can watch them. They just like watch their child as they just tear into things, are completely disruptive and don't do anything about it. And then when somebody else gently corrects the child, that parent doesn't do a very good job with that parent part of their task so anyway I know that parent yes yes there are definitely some of those that you got to deal with and because they don't teach their kids not to mess with other people's stuff we end up with broken parts which we won't have to do anymore because all of our actual robotic stuff won't be anywhere near other people that can mess with it so that will be fantastic that's really good news i think you must have incredible patience if you're working on upgrading conference rooms that sounds a little yucky daunting perhaps yes it is a bit daunting (laughs) a little background i fell in on a project let's say they want to have these conference rooms upgraded. That's all fine and dandy. I like playing with new hardware too, believe it or not, even though I don't buy it very often. I do enjoy, you know, I'm a technology enthusiast. Vintage technology. I like new technology too. It's not exclusively vintage there, Matthew. So there's two conference rooms, a larger one, which is a pretty good size room that has two displays, projector type style displays. I mean, these are huge displays. And then one conference room that is smaller, probably seats two dozen, I would say, around that. I should have counted, but I didn't. Anyway, there's stuff that's there now, but it's not ideal, I guess. There's been a transition from Zoom to Microsoft Teams. The company, before I really got fully going with this, asked for a quote from another company. And for the small room, the quote was around $45,000 and the large room, $75,000. And I'm like, there's no way 
I would ever approve this. I said that. And of course, those that would approve it agreed with me. I said, I think I can do it for a better price. So I went through line by line every item they suggested. And they, they suggested like just crazy items. I mean, I love hardware, but like pro grade hardware that was totally unnecessary for the setup of the room, suggesting some additional furniture and all kinds of weird stuff. Where I'm at right now with doing the research, I think I can bring it down to like less than four for one. So about less than 10% of the cost for one of the rooms and probably around 7,000 for the other one. So also around 10% of what was suggested in the other one, I think. I'm not 100% sure on the second room. But what was really neat about this whole process, I learned about something called the Dante Audio Interface. Not sure if you've heard of it, but it's very interesting. It is essentially network-based audio. So these devices, you would just plug into a, a network switch. And if they're assigned a DHCP address, then they'll go with that. If there is no DHCP server, they will auto-negotiate with each other and say, hey, I'm this IP address and, and so forth. So you don't actually have to have DHCP server. And then using a piece of software, which apparently uh, there's a, a Snap Store version of the software, this the Dante virtual audio device thing, where then you can configure these devices, the inputs and outputs, and dynamically assign however you want to assign them to different channels and so forth. It's really very cool. I've only just started learning about this today, but what it did lead me down was, if you're going to build something out, a professional audio setup, there are ways you can build the base of your system so that you can expand it and move things around as you like, all using ethernet technology. It's gotta be gigabit, but it's very cool. I can also say, I think I prefer Zoom over Microsoft Teams for numerous reasons. One of those being that I think that Zoom does a better job of, I don't know if exactly the term to use, but it's easier, it's more accessible, like they have apps and such to do control interfaces and so forth. I think that Microsoft Teams does have it. It's not very readily accessible to find, I guess. But like, I just want to turn a tablet into like a control surface. You have to like buy something for that essentially. So I think I do like Zoom better at this point. I'm getting used to this Microsoft Teams business. You know, it is what it is, I guess. Anyway, so it's been very fun learning about this stuff. Amazing to see at the you know enterprise level what other contractors try to go for the big ask, which I think is extremely ridiculous. And there's less expensive ways to do that. And the president of the company, when I made some recommendations, you know, I said, I don't want another subscription service and everything else. And he laughed and he says, this is why we hired you. And so that kind of felt good. <laughs> I, said, you know, I do the invoices for the company, for the IT stuff. And I says, and I'm getting subscription fatigue just on what you have now. And I'm not even paying the bills and I already have subscription fatigue after being here a month. Oh, wow. That many, huh? Uh, yeah. It is my ambition to see what I can do about making the enterprise. Lessening that. Yeah, less, less on that. But in time, right now, I want to just understand everything and there's no disruption of any services and go from there. This Dante is really, really interesting. It looks like there's multiple avenues that you can go down. So they have these larger pieces of hardware that you can use as you're configuring these different systems. And then I find it really cool that they have these plug and play adapters where your ethernet goes in one end and on the opposite end of is XLR or USB, whatever that microphone is, whatever right. it needs to be able to load that onto the system. We used a larger conference room when we did our head to head with North Idaho and we were using the local college to do it. And one thing that I found interesting about their conference room setup was they had the biggest webcam I have ever seen in my entire life. It was made by Logitech, I think. 
it was absolutely massive. And one of the things that I loved about this webcam is you could pan and tilt and zoom in using it. And there was a little remote control for that. And it made it really nice for our purposes because we could focus that camera depending what the kids were doing. So the robot table was on one side of the room. We could focus the camera over there. And then as gear shifted, we could then focus that camera where the kids were doing their presentation. And I think you could find something like that extremely valuable for other conferencing situations. And you're, you have a larger room and you can be able to focus, hey, this thing's going on here, this is going on here, or use the entire room space with the camera. So I'm curious as to what the final things are going to look like when you're all done with this. Of course, this is for a business instead of for a college. So the functionality will probably be a little bit more day-to-day -day usual instead of where we were in a room where it could be used for all kinds of different things. But I would love to see how the system all comes together when you're done with it. Yeah, I'm personally excited to see how it's going to turn out as well, because I don't even know yet. I haven't quite finished my proposal yet for the powers that be. I'm hoping that it works because there's a lot of unknowns from my perspective, because I've never set any, any of this kind of sort of thing up before. I mean, how hard can it be, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's always a learning curve with any new technology. But the nice thing about this is it seems like your boss knows that a lot of this is new and they understand that you may need to, instead of implementing it across the whole business, take it, play with it in one conference room, figure th some things out before all of that gets brought to the second conference room. Right, exactly. And then there was some, let's call it scope creep and saying, well, if this is done, can you do my office too? That works out. And so there's some other like things <laughs> oh, that might yeah. happen from that, which is fun. I mean, I much prefer that than fixing people's windows interface issues. You know, this is broken or that's broken. So yes, I don't have to deal with that, thankfully. Definitely. I get to deal with the fun things in technology, not the unfun things. So Nate, wouldn't the windows interface issues be windows interface? Oh my gosh. Can I tell you just real quick? There are some <laughs> things that are so aggravating, like user experience of Windows 10 or 11, you know, little fun things in Plasma, like I can use the scroll, the mouse scroll wheel to like raise or lower the volume of things just right there in the taskbar system tray, I should say. That doesn't exist in Windows. All these like niceties you have in Linux and Linux audio, they don't exist in Windows. My baseline of I'm expecting this quality level of user interface just doesn't exist. And I get so frustrated. It is not there. No. It is incredibly frustrating. We had to deal with this when we were using a Windows laptop for a Zoom call before. And, oh, I guess it was actually, it was Windows in the same room of that building, that conference room. Was I was so used to being able to just pull up different parts of the audio interface just down there in the taskbar, change things. Hey, I want you to use this mic for absolutely everything. And there isn't that option there. I'm like, holy crap. There is some incredibly what I found basic audio interface niceties that aren't anywhere near Windows. Uh, Windows is terrible. Uh, at least on 10, uh, I can't speak to 11 right now because I'm, I'm refusing to do any content creation on that monstrosity. <laughs> um, but no, I totally get it. Like, oh man, the audio interface, like the only way that will work is if you literally go through and in the pop-up selection, you mute every single audio source yeah. that you don't want to use. Whereas at least in, you know, Plasma, it's literally... 
Uh, just select it, and that's the main one it uses universally. Yes, select it, and then you have this handy-dandy tool if it didn't play audio through all of this device or record all audio through this device mm -hmm. with that little hamburger menu. So nice. Among some other things, too, like just the fact that I would actually say the audio interface in 1011 is a massive regression to what it used to be because it used to be able to just like pop up all the, the sliders from, you know, like a right click, whatever. And that's not a thing. Maybe I'm using the wrong clicks. Maybe I'm holding it wrong. It's not good. I would say Windows in general is a regression. Yeah, I mean, it could be good. There's, there's some good aspects to it. I think the dark theme is nice. Uh, it's about where it ends. <laughs> anyway, back to the show. Hi there, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure needs. Are you wanting to build your own website? Of course you are. Most entry-level hosting services are fine for a while, but if you want to be in control, do what you want, and actually own your website, Linode is where you step up to powerful, totally customizable cloud hosting. So whether you're into gaming, stuck on a proprietary website builder, or just need something to put on the cloud and access it anywhere. Linode is there for you. Every plan comes with Linode's amazing human-powered customer support. If you need help, someone will be there to pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7-365. Visit linode.com tux to create a free account. Plus, you'll get 60-day, $100 credit to your account. Thanks for listening. One of the things about Linux is sometimes for new users, onboarding could be better. And so we're going to have a discussion here about improving some onboarding for new Linux users and maybe some things that could be focused on or improved or whatnot. And I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to say, I think a good welcome screen is absolutely necessary, like a little pop-up, splash, whatever you want to call it. Who do you think provides the best welcome interface right now in Linux? Yikes. Um... <laughs> It depends because if you're just talking about, hey, here's how you do stuff, or are you talking about just like, here's a bunch of documentation because there's a couple of different ways that some of the distros have welcomed, like quote unquote welcome right. screens. It's been so long since I've played with a lot of these different distros that it's hard for me to say which one I think is the best. I know I've heard a bunch of praise for the one on MX Linux has gotten a lot of praise in the past, um, but I don't actively play with a lot of them anymore. And to be honest, when I fire up a new distro, the first thing I do is get rid of the welcome screen because <laughs> I don't need it. And so I don't actually pay attention to that. In some of my explorations of Linux distributions on Linux Saloon, I have to say the one that impresses me the most right now and this shifts, you know, side to side, is I'm going to tell you, it's not OpenSUSE. It's, it's Linux Mint. They give you an interface. They don't overburden you with information. That can be confusing. They hold your hand going through the process and how to get help. So I think that's pretty impressive that they do that. And I think that other distributions should kind of take the lead there a little bit. As much as I love OpenSUSE, they, they actually have a decent welcome screen, but it's not targeted to like a new user necessarily. It's more or less guiding you and you already have an understanding and here's where you get this, here's where you get that, but not really that kind right. of handholding that Mint provides. Yeah, and this might be me just being a little biased because I helped work on it a little bit, was probably the Budgie Welcome for Ubuntu Budgie, just because I think it gives the right kind of introduction. 
it's very much in that Linux Mint style. It's very simplified, but it also has options that most new users within that first boot up are really going to care about, you know, like downloading Steam or you know whatever generic end users are going to care about. And I think stuff like that really does kind of matter, that simplified kind of process and initial like, hey, welcome to the team kind of thing, as opposed to like just dropping you on the first day at work and say, figure it out. And how, and, you know, <laughs> the, the guy that's supposed to train you just kind of walks off and you're like, uh, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> so is that what you do to people, Matt, at your work? You just walk away when you have to train people. It's probably safer for the people that Matt works with. If he's not the one that does the training, if he lets somebody else take that role, that's probably a good point. <laughs> I don't know what you're inferring. <laughs> But along those same lines, as far as at least like that first boot, what that looks like, we had brought up this as a topic earlier in the day. So I was thinking about it. I was doing some of my other stuff in preparation. And a lot of the times when you get a new device, a smaller device, you fire it up for the first time. It gives you a walk around. Hey, if you want to access the apps, you swipe up. If you want to do this, get to these notifications, whatever. It does kind of a basic walkthrough. I don't know how you would do that on a Linux distribution, but that is potentially one of those ways where this is where you find your applications. This is how you install your applications. You want to get to this settings panel. This is where you go. And in a visual form, yeah, there's typically all kinds of documentation that's out there. But honestly, how many people read the documentation to find that stuff? No, you're more likely going to a video to find some of that information. And if you need it, it's there. And if you don't need it, you can just bypass that welcome screen. It's an option. I have no idea, no clue how it would get implemented. But it is kind of one of those things where I had recently also reset a device and was going through that setup process again. And I'm like, oh, if you are used to this device all the time, this setup screen is a little annoying. But at the same time, if you're brand new to it or brand new to this software, kind of a quick overview on where things are can be extremely helpful. Well, to your point, Wendy, and this will speak to your, you know, Android ROM stuff that you like to do when you try out like different home screen replacements and stuff. Yeah. As opposed to like the default launcher. A lot of those have a quick walkthrough to show you like how to interact with the interface. Linux has such a wide variety of speaking about last week, a wide variety of interfaces that you can use Having that kind of like quick overview for somebody brand new, and we're talking like brand new or hasn't used Linux since like GNOME 2, like we're talking newer users, not people that have lived in it like us. So I think something like that is definitely would be a big help, honestly. GNOME is very different from Mac and GNOME is very different from Windows. KDE is different enough from Windows while looking similar. Those are just like the major ones, obviously. We're not getting to the esoteric ones. I think something like KDE would throw off a brand new user more. I've just set up this laptop. I'm handing it to someone who's never used Linux before, and they start with this basic Plasma desktop. It does have enough of a Windows fill with its basic setup that I think that could be more frustrating than something like GNOME that's very different and you're understanding that, oh, I've got to go and learn where everything is, where is something like Plasma. It's like, oh, this feels familiar. Mm-hmm. 
holy crap, I can't find anything that I'm looking for. So that <laughs> basic setup could be fantastic. I know one thing I love about Garuda, it's not necessarily new user friendly in a lot of ways because you have so many different options when you first pull it up. But on that very first boot, it says, hey, what other things do you want to install? And in this case, it's definitely mm -hmm. focused on different communication apps, gaming. It has some creator stuff in it. I love the options that they give you for that first install. And it's nice. It's one of the reasons that when the kids did the install of Garuda on their gaming system, and I'm like, oh, crap, this motherboard has a Bluetooth built into it, but it doesn't have Wi-Fi built into it. So I ran for a Cat6 cable because I told the kids I didn't want them to boot their computer for the first time after the install because I knew it was going to ask, hey, do you want to install these things? And I wanted to make sure that I had a solid <laughs> network connection before we did that. But it's definitely one of the things that I appreciate about Gruda. And I think other distros could pull something like that in now it doesn't need to be as complicated or as big of a scope you and i were talking before we got started matt on something that would be hey mm -hmm. i'm a creator so click the creator button and here's a list of applications that it's going to auto install and you can make that list as big as not and it could be several different versions of that creator tab of creator basic all the way to everything but the kitchen sink or everything and the kitchen sink yeah. as far as that creator list can go, making it a one-click, hey, now my system is set up and I'm off and running. Yeah, that was definitely something that I think would... You're still going to want to cater to the power users, but you're going to want to cater to the people who want a small line system, and you're also going to want to cater to the quote-unquote mythological new user that we're currently talking about <laughs> that everyone likes to point at. The mythological new user. I like it. Well, it's supposedly the unicorn that you know everyone talks about. There is no new Linux users. Uh, I highly disagree. I was once a new Linux user. <laughs> <laughs> I think having an option like that where it's like, you know, if you're in a major distro, an Ubuntu or a Red Hat or Fedora, whatever, and that first thing is, is like, what do you use this machine for? Are you kind of the content creator? Are you a gamer? You want to just totally skip this because it's optional? And then they essentially just have install scripts of like predefined meta packaged apps, basically, yeah. that they just pull down. It's like, okay, here's OBS. Here's insert video editor here if you're a content creator or if you're a gamer it's like uh, here's steam here's heroic so you have all your bases covered and you know all the dxvk stuff just simplified stuff like that but still having the power under the hood you're not hiding anything and i think that's a lot of the concern the community has is like oh you're taking away options it's like no just the front-facing stuff is not so overwhelming yeah definitely and i think that's what a lot of the community is concerned is like what you mentioned with garuda I love Garuda. I use it on everything except for the current machine that has Windows 11. But that choice structure that gets thrown in your face, it's like tab after tab after tab that you go through with multiple selections. Right. I think there's like five or six of them. There's actually more because there's a, on the far side, there's arrows that give you more categories when you go into that. And it's just like, then if you go into like, uh, was it the Garuda Gamer thing? And it's like just choices. Upon choices. It was like, cool, but like it overwhelms a person. Yeah. That's our probably honestly our biggest problem. But if you go kind of the Gnome route, you're going way too far the opposite. Of <laughs> but that's just the thing. I don't even think that that has to be just for new users. That could be 
long-term Linux users as well. And you can have that simplified version right up front. Hey, I'm just trying to figure this out. Cool. Give me these apps that are in this realm I'm looking for. And then the advanced section where you're manually selecting through a bajillion tabs what you want for each category. You know, one of the things that I've noticed when learning all these new systems that are commercial systems, when you first log into it, they always want to give you this little quick tour. Of this is how you do a thing. And they dim most of the screen and say, this is where you do this. And they have arrows pointing, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? You can also skip the tutorial. I almost think something like that would be nice for a new user style of Linux desktop. You know, something where you know, this is how you install software. This is how you configure your system. Things like that. And that might help with the onboarding process as other applications onboard you. And then you have the more in-depth this is how you do the more interesting things, I suppose. But getting people just started, and once they get some little successes of, yay, I did this, yay, I configured this, yay, I, yeah. I launched that, then you can build on that. And sometimes just like a little hand-holding to begin with can get somebody over that hump. Mm -hmm. Do you know, these people that we're talking about, the GUI is a necessity, not an option. And I know that might rub some people the wrong way. The GUI's but... the problem. I think if everyone just learned the terminal, there would be no issues. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want those boxing gloves thrown off and let's go at it, boys. <laughs> Except for are you using Bash or using Fish or you know, what distro are you using? Is it Paw Mac? Is it, you know, take your pick. Like, give me a break. <laughs> There's no differences, my. Let me butt. make it simple. Use Bash or Fish. It's pretty much the same. Fish would be better since it's the friendly, love fish. the friendly, fun yeah, I love fish. shell. And then learn the DNF or zipper commands. And then you're good to go. You don't have to learn PAMAC. Nobody uses that garbage. Sorry, Pac-Man, not PAMAC. <laughs> um, that too. Nobody uses that. PAMAC's the GUI, so I'll give them credit there. And nobody in the right mind uses Pac-Man. <laughs> Pac-Man's a game for you. That's the only reason you think I think of Pac-Man. Apparently, I am not in my right <laughs> mind. You have heard it here. Nate has let us all know. That Wendy's not in her right mind. Actually, I could have told right. you that. You didn't need I it. think, honestly, we can... <laughs> hiding the console or, you know, CLI from the user is not taking it away. It's still there. It doesn't have to be the primary for every person on the planet, which is what a lot of people seem to think. I don't know about hiding it, but if you're going for something that is new user-friendly, it doesn't need to be one of the things that's saved on the bottom bar yeah like I'm, I'm not yeah saying hide it uh, that's probably not the best way to say it that should not be the primary interaction a new user theoretical Agreed. new user is that that's their experience right. exactly is like hey here's a blinking cursor have fun is like, huh <laughs> and there are a lot of great guis out mm -hmm. there already that you can install applications on so just making sure that's kind of where we go back to that walkthrough mm -hmm. for that brand exactly. new person Hey, this is where you install the stuff. This is how you search for new yep. applications. All of that, I think, is fantastic. And having something like the flat packs already enabled on a lot of these applications because they seem to be used more and more. It seems to be one of the things that makes it easier for new users to install stuff. So yeah, you've got whatever is in that distro's repo, but this entire world of other applications that you can get in a flat pack version, some of them even proprietary that you can't necessarily get inside your repo. So having all of that nicely packed, ready to go in a good GUI user interface. And I have to say, Discover's not as bad as it used to be. It loads 
not as fast as I think it should, but not as slow as it has in the past. So there's lots of options out there. A nice GUI interface is important for a new user, and it is part of the reason why when I handed my dad a Linux laptop for the first time, it had elementary on it because I liked the way they set up that install interface mm-hmm. for somebody that was brand mm-hmm. new. Had this nice store feeling to it that many people are already used to on different OSs, mobile and yeah. PC. So now it's your turn to toss in your two cents or three or four or five on this subject. What do you think would help improve the onboarding for new Linux users? What would make it a great experience for someone who doesn't even think about the fact they're using Linux? Let us know in the comments. Send us an email. Tell Matt he's wrong. However you want to do that. Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and priority customer support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Lennox Out Loud. Magneto out. Well, Matt, you've got a game of the week. I have not clicked on the link yet, but when I see this title, I get excited because this is a franchise that's been around a while. Yes, Nate, this is going back to games you might have actually at one point played because they were made in the yes by a company called Microprose. The game recommendation is MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries. This is a mech combat game. Like, There's a lot of lore to this, and I'm not going to get into that. There's basically, as the title says, you're a mercenary. It started out as a board game, it did. I think. Yeah. Basically a video game version of a lot of other things like Warhammer and stuff. Anyway, this, you play a mercenary, you fight for different clans for profit. There's a story that there's a bunch of lore that goes with this, the inner sphere and all the other stuff. It's the mech customization, coming up with the right combos of stuff. It's just, if you like to tinker. And I do. But you want to do it on giant virtual robots. And that might be up Wendy's alley. This is kind of the game that you might want to give the kids. It's violent, but not like, Rated M violent, like I blow up robot section violence. Ooh, that might make me cry a little bit. <laughs> Blowing up robots? Yeah, I don't even like watching Robot Wars or whatever it's called. Ooh. <laughs> so I do actually enjoy watching some of the Robot Wars, but I know this is totally off topic. Nate made me think about it. If you want to watch some amazing robot battles where typically the robots are not destroyed, watch the sumo robots. Awesome. And they're fully autonomous. That's cool. Check it out. I promise you won't be disappointed. Have to check that out. Well, Matt, I would say this is a very odd suggestion coming from you. This is a very odd suggestion. It's, you know, <laughs> it's very cool for one. And uh, less because, I suppose. 
and reference most of the conversation that I cut out last week. There were a few beeps. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah, there were in a big section. Yeah. That got cut out. It was quite fun. I think you have suggested some of the Mech Warrior games, not this one, but some of the other Mech Warrior games in the past. This one is a little bit newer. I wouldn't say it's super new, but not super old by any means. Just a couple of years old, almost two years old now. That's basically brand new in my book. But what I will give the devs credit for is uh, they have supported the game. The, I believe the last update was in March, if I remember correctly. So they've supported the game for over oh, two cool. years almost. Might be sooner, but that was the last one I remember. What I love about this is you can play it single mm -hmm. player. So for people like me who have very slow internet connections, but if you enjoy playing with other people, there is their multiplayer co-op option. And like. also the nice thing about this is there's the base game, which is about 30 bucks. There's what they call the, I think it's the Jump Ship Edition, which is 60 but it includes yep. most of the DLC. So there's like a 50, and each DLC is about 15 bucks, give or take. So it adds most of the DLC and undercuts the price by about $15 if you had bought the stuff separately. <laughs> nice. And it does go on sale, so occasionally like the Jump Ship Edition will go to you about $30. So it's, you know, half off usually. Oh, wow. And then the base game will go anywhere from 10 to 15 usually. For the price that you can get it at, it's pretty good. I think even at the 30, it's worth it. Definitely my recommendation. As far as the other recommendations, Wendy, I think the one you're think talking about is... Uh, I think it was Battletech, which is more of like an isometric kind of top view down game. Yes. And that one recently went on sale, I believe, because it popped up on my wish list. And I don't even know why I added it to my wish list because it's not a game <laughs> I'm actually going to play because I think it is a co-op multiplayer game and I would just die. But yeah, I do regularly add games, even games I'm not going to play that you suggest to my wish list. What's wrong with that? I don't know. That's all on you. That's like when Nate clicks the buy button. I just made the <laughs> suggestion whether or not you actually buy it. That's on you. I'm not being an enabler at all. You are an enabler. And this is a very cool game that you've recommended, but I'm not going to hit buy. But I think it's very cool. And I'm glad you suggested it. Nate, something tells me you're just saying that on show, but you'll probably buy it off show. He'll probably wait till it goes on sale. Exactly. That's, uh, that's what I mean. And I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of telling you whether I buy it or not. <laughs> Nate. All I got to do is look at your Steam <laughs> library on your profile, unless you have it all private. You might want to set your game library to private, Nate. I think I need to, yeah. And there, folks, is the answer <laughs> I went. So while I'm making inferences and subliminal winning messages, you know, like Nate's going to buy MechWarrior 5, Wendy, you're working on some... I believe 3D printing stuff. No 3D printing yet. I still have some work to do in finishing getting the board set up on my 3D printer. And a lot of that needs to be with, I need the proper pliers in order to repin some things on there. I have started the config file, but the big thing that's going on in our house right now is sublimation printing. So I told you guys a while ago that I had planned to add two more printers to the house. So I have my laser printer. absolutely love it. I have my 3D printer. Eventually, I will have it working again. And now we have a regular inkjet printer and a inkjet printer that we've turned into sublimation. So sublimation... You are designing whatever it is on your computer, printing it out on special paper. 
and then using heat to transfer that design onto different fabrics. And in order for this to work, it oh, has to cool. be, yes, it is incredibly awesome. The fabric does need to be at least 65% polyester because those special inks that you're using, those sublimation inks, are actually binding to that polyester fabric hmm. with the heat, which is really cool the way you can do it. One of the things that I found kind of frustrating, though, is not being able to set a specific ICC color profile for a specific printer. So now I've got three traditional style printers, you know, they're printing on paper in the house right now. It's really easy for me to properly name them in Linux. I know the one is a laser printer, one is the inkjet printer, and one is the sublimation printer. All those are named properly, but in order to get accurate color out of the sublimation printer, you do need to use a very specific color profile for it. And if you are not using that color profile, as we have learned in trial and error, it's not printing out with the proper colors. You're not getting exactly what you had on the screen. So inside Inkscape, I've been able to set an output color profile. So that works really well if I'm sending it to that specific device. But what would be ideal is to say, hey, I want this color profile for the laser printer. I want this specific color profile for the regular inkjet printer. And I want this specific color profile for the sublimation printer. So no matter what application I'm using, overall inside the system, it's using the correct color profile. So I'm finding that to be a little bit of a pain inside of Linux, but otherwise the sublimation has been a ton of fun. We found a couple tank tops at a really, really cheap price. They're 96% polyester. And my daughter took some of her custom art and has turned them into t-shirts. And while the Cricut is fun when it comes to the vinyl, you can do a lot of really cool things with it. It just can't take the place of sublimation for certain things because you get that fading out. One of the things she does, she has some fading on it as it goes from the center of the image out. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you can't do that with vinyl. And you have so many more color options and color profiles. And the two that she's made, I will have to take pictures of them and send them your way, put them in the show notes or something. So one, she has taken the Decepticon logo and for the most part it's black and mm -hmm. then it has like these blue splatters all over it to which I was informed yes. that that is Energon. So it is the Transformer version of blood splatter all over the Decepticon logo. That's really cool. I thought so. After I figured it out, I'm like, oh, okay, I get what you've done with this. I understand the art just a little bit better. And then the other one that she made a huge fan of the FNAF games and she did her own version of Foxy with this really interesting background. So they look like they were shirts that were bought instead of shirts that we've made at home. We're going to have so much fun with this. I'm glad we went ahead and got the sublimation printer. Of course, we've made stickers too and we've been enjoying all the printers in the house. But I think one of my favorites right now is the sublimation and being able to see my daughter take all of the awesome art that she's created 
and turn them into wearable pieces of art. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and probably very motivating for her too, that she can turn just an idea into something actual, like 3D printing, except in this case, it's, you know, clothes or whatever. That's really got to be pretty cool. And then also, I, I'm assuming you're probably going to use this for your teams as well, your, your robot teams, first Lego League robot team. You could do t-shirts and such for that. We've actually already been using something similar to that for their stuff so far. My co-mentor is a whiz with the Cricut. She's had it for a long time. She's been making team shirts with it forever. And this year, our team shirts were far more complicated with multiple colors just in the logo. And she was commenting on what a big pain that was because you're using this special vinyl that is HTV heat transfer vinyl and you have to add each layer at a time. And so you have to weed out each layer, put your base layer down, add your colors as you're building on top of that and paying attention to your heat, making sure that the layers underneath it don't get ruined too much heat or whatever that's going on and very, very time consuming. So when we were doing our team shirts for Worlds, we used another or a different kind of heat transfer vinyl where you print on it directly. So instead of using the sublimation printer, you would use your standard inkjet printer. It prints onto this special HTV and then you heat transfer that on, which is really nice. So if you're wanting to add something really colorful to close whatever it is and it's either 100% cotton or too high in cotton doesn't have enough polyester or if it's a dark piece of clothing. My daughter wasn't sublimating on white. One was this kind of lighter blue. The other one, I'm trying to remember, might be a greenish tone. I, she's had two different and they weren't white but that sublimation process probably because it was so high in polyester still looked very crisp, very clean. But if it was a dark shirt, say something that is black, even if it's 100% polyester, it'll sublimate. You just won't be able to see it because the black is darker than all the other colors that are being laid down. And using this special heat transfer vinyl, the special print on heat transfer vinyl is one way to get that look without having to have that sublimation. So I do have some sheets of that that we haven't got a chance to play with yet we need to go find a few more shirts do some practicing and figuring that out i was actually looking at another heat press today so i've got a small 12 inch by 12 inch one i mean not tiny by any means it'll do a t-shirt perfectly but it's one of the handheld ones and you set your time, you set your temperatures on it, you hold it on the garment, and then you move it back to its little cradle. Whereas I was looking at a heat press today that the handle actually locks in, so you're getting better pressure across that garment or whatever it is. And then it has multiple attachments so that you can sublimate mugs, you can sublimate hats, you can sublimate what else was it? Plates. A, a bunch of different options that are available with this other heat press. And price-wise, it really isn't that bad. And I know my daughter is wanting to have a career in art, in creation, and being able to sell some of those things that she's made. And this is that ground level of she could kind of test those waters 
as she is a child in my home to say, okay, this is what it takes to make all this stuff. This is the work that it then takes to sell that stuff. Is this truly a way that I want to support myself later on in life or as I move out of the house? And with all original art. You know, and you really never know. Like I have a buddy who was a great artist growing up as a kid, and now he owns his own graphic design business. He's become very successful, especially in the last few years, because he's a hard worker and he is very talented and he's a go-getter. And he also does t-shirts and he does all, you know, all kinds of things. And he's learned like what to farm out and what to do in-house quite well. And so you never know. She could be extremely successful and somewhere in the graphic design, you know, with the obviously enjoying the certain hobbies in that as well as he does. The future is whatever she makes out of that. And I think that she can make it a good one. And yes, that is a back to the future reference. I just kind of sort of slipped it in there. But yeah, I think that that's exciting. Do whatever it takes to encourage her. I know you will, but that's kind of to anybody who has kid or a family member, a friend who's good in the arts, who's truly good. Give them the encouragement and support them. That's amazing. And the fact that you're supporting her in it is just absolutely amazing. It's a lot of fun. We have so many tech toys in the house. And this is a great way that my daughter and I can kind of geek out together because I love seeing the art that she makes. I'm just not good at art myself. It's the word that like the hand-drawn stuff. She does art on the tablet. She does oil painting, watercolor, color pencil, alcohol markers, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of mediums. And I love to see the art that she comes out of it. But where we can kind of geek out together is taking that art and combining it with tech and making things out of it. So it's been a ton of fun for me watching her grow as an artist and to have this connection together with the hardware. I totally agree. You plan on making all kinds of connections, hopefully, at Southeast Linux Fest. Each week, we're getting closer and closer to that. Are you sponsoring a booth? You know, they haven't gotten back with me on that, so I can't tell you one way or the other. I should find out. I will be volunteering to help out there, though. Wanted to try and get down a little sooner, but I'm not going to be able to get there until Thursday. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. So anyway, yeah, I will be down there. I'm going to do what I can to meet as many people as possible just to say hi. I mean, I realize I'm a nobody and nobody would care, but I'm excited to meet people. And so that's my big plan for being down there. And, you know, to show some of my goofy tools and I should say my goofy technology that I do have, I'll bring some of it down there as well. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really fun for me. Yeah, so check out like Southeast Linux Fest. They have a, a website and you can, you can uh, reserve a hotel room down there under the group policy thing and hang out or, you know, just visit for a day, whatever you want to do. When I was there last year, there was a lot of really cool sponsors. SUSE was there, of course, and they gave talks. And it's not very corporate there, although System76 was there. You had some other more corporate-focused vendors there. But I was just down there. Mm-hmm. It didn't have that corporate over-commercialized feel to it. It was very enthusiast-friendly. It also had like a, a game room as well. So if you want to play, you know, LAN games, you know, like, like LAN party type games, they have that down there as well. So I'm excited. I'm going to be bringing my oldest with me. He's going to hang out with me there. He's not like super big into into Linux. I mean, he uses it all the time and to him it's just a tool. But he does like gaming and he does like the Steam Deck. He does like doing things on Linux. So it'll be fun for him as well. And he can get out there and meet people. Just to have kids there too. And basically my child is kind of like a small adult at this point, my oldest. So anyway, it'll be a lot of fun. I hope to see you there. I know you can't make it, Wendy, but you as in you the listener to uh, Southeast Linux Fest. Have fun. I can't wait to hear all about it. And I will be broadcasting one or streaming whatever, an episode of Linux Saloon while I'm down there. Because it'll be on a Saturday. 
hopefully it goes well. I'm sure it will. It'll be perfect. Yeah, well, the last uh, two weeks of Linux Saloon have not been perfect. I've had my internet drop out on me, and <laughs> I think it's been a little bit dodgy as of late. I don't know if it's because the weather change. I don't know what's going on. That's the joys of internet. <laughs> Slow, rural internet. Rural internet. So much fun. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the Gamercentric, I paused my game to be here shirt, or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. 